Good morning, early afternoon, everyone. So there's a guy who walks into a bar. Now this bar is completely empty except for the bartender who is way over at the other side of the room. Guy pulls out a stool, sits right at the bar, and he immediately starts hearing voices. Although he is the only one at the actual bar. He hears this voice say, man, that's a good looking tie you're wearing. And he looks around and there's nobody. A few minutes later, he hears a voice again saying, gosh, you are really looking fit these days. And he cannot, for the life of him, figure out where these voices are coming from. It's just him at the bar. I mean, the bartender is way over there. A few minutes pass, and he hears, it looks like you got a new haircut, and it looks great. Finally, he can't take it anymore. He yells to the bartender. He says, sir, he says, I don't know what's going on, but I keep hearing these voices, and they're saying really nice things to me. Bartender said, don't worry about it. It's just the peanuts. They're complimentary. There's some jokes you've really got to work hard to sell, and that was one of them. (laughs) But I bet if we're all honest, we would admit that at times, every single one of us, we hear voices. We hear voices in our heads, voices in our souls. Maybe we get whispers that we pick up from time to time. And I believe if you're a Christian, you can blame a lot of that on the Holy Spirit, because when you give your life... To Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your body and it it helps guide you and direct you. In the Bible, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a counselor, a helper, a comforter, an encourager. So with the Holy Spirit, you're going to hear things. You're going to feel things that are going to help you, that will lift you up, that will encourage you at times, that will keep you positive. So that part of it makes sense. But many of the voices we hear are not positive. Many of the voices that we hear are not complimentary. They aren't nice at all. Much of what we hear at times are critical. They can be harsh. They can be hurtful voices. They can be judgmental. A lot of times it's probably stuff that we create in our own minds because we're usually our own worst critics. But a lot of times it's real voices that you're hearing. It's real voices. Maybe it's classmates. Maybe it's co-workers. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's even family. And they're saying things or they're posting things. And you're hearing it. And it has a way of sticking in our minds. And in turn sticking us into a rut. These voices that we hear or we feel or we sense, however they come into our worlds, they impact our lives. And what we hear and how we hear are important because it's part of a cycle that we're going to talk about today. The cycle of truth. And this cycle can either help us or keep us from being all that God has created us to be and doing all that God 
has created us to do. So to illustrate this cycle of truth, we're going to look at a story in the Gospel of John this morning. This is a story about a woman who had a lot of voices she was listening to. And this story begins in chapter 8, it's verses 1 through 11. But it begins, it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Which is kind of a weird way to start off a chapter, but chapter 7 ended by saying, then each went to his own home. So it's saying each went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, which was a mountain ridge east of or adjacent to Jerusalem. It was named for all the olive groves that covered its slopes. You see, Jesus would often go away there and he would pray. See, so many great Jesus stories either begin or end in prayer, or both. So it goes on, it says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So now he's in the temple and he's teaching and he's sitting down because that was the customary way to teach in that day. It says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Can you imagine the voices that this woman was hearing? I mean, she was just caught in a sinful act. Can you imagine what they were saying to her? Could you imagine what they were calling her? I imagine she could feel their scorn. I bet she barely had time to even cover herself as she was being yanked out of bed and and drugged down the narrow paths of Jerusalem. People staring, people listening, people talking. It's like the whole city became a jury and they rendered a verdict. Guilty! And then, as if the prey to shame wasn't enough, they took her of all places to a Bible study. Jesus in the courtyard, surrounded by people listening to him teach. And they take this woman and they throw her in the midst of them. And then here comes all the accusers. They're all gathering on one side. And they got their stern faces and they're pointing their fingers. And a lot of us in here know what this moment feels like. To have made a mistake and to have everyone magnify it and point their fingers at you. And nowhere in this story does it say that she even tried to defend herself. Did she even speak up for herself? Why is that? It's because the first part of the cycle of truth is what we hear influences what we think. What we hear influences what we think. See, when you hear something enough times, you start to believe it. I remember when I was 
but a young lad growing up in Randolph County, a little town called Ridgeville. My cousin and I, Tommy, we used to love climbing trees. It's what young boys do. Well, once when I was probably eight, and Tom was a year younger than I, we were climbing this monstrosity of a tree, or at least it seemed like it at that age. And I remember it had this huge branch that you could walk out on, putting you just a few feet away from the branches of another large tree that was right beside it. So we decided that we could walk out on the branch as far as we could, and we could spring off of it, and it would propel us to where we could grab the branch from the next tree. It was like a trapeze performer, and this would be awesome. Adults call this the hold my drink. Watch this moment. So I go first, and I steady myself, and I walk out as far as I could go, displaying great courage. And we count it off. Three, two, one, and I shift my weight down, and I spring myself up and out, and I grab the branch from the other tree, and I safely pull myself in. It was a heroic display of skill and balance. (laughs) Well, now it was my cousin's turn. He slowly and somewhat wobbly makes his way to the end of the branch, and he says... I don't think I can do it. I said, you can do it. I just did. It was easy. He said, but you're older than me. You're taller than me. Your arms are longer than mine. I think that you can jump out farther. You can reach up higher. I don't think I can do it. Now, a good cousin would have said, yeah, you may be right. It's not even attempted. I mean, a a year difference is huge at this age. Safety first, let's call it a day. Do you think I was a good cousin? I said Grandma could make this jump. (laughs) Little Susie in your math class made the jump last week. Don't be a chicken. You can do this. You've got this. You are capable of this. And if you've ever seen the movie, The Matrix, if you haven't, it's no big deal, but if you've ever seen it, there is a scene towards the end of that movie where the main character, his name's Neo, he finally believes that he is who they are saying he is and that he can do the things they are saying that he can do. And my cousin Tommy had reached his Neo moment and he now believed And he shifted, and he thrust himself forward, and he raised his arms as high as he could, and he missed that branch by a good foot and a half. Falling ten foot down, he broke his elbow in two places, requiring a cast all summer long, and in turn, I received a gift from my father that affected how comfortably I would sit for the next three days. You see, what we hear influences what we think. And when we hear something enough times, we start to believe it. See, this lady in our story, she never defended herself. It's like she resigned to the fact that it was true. 
And the thing is, the woman was caught in the act of adultery. It was true. She was caught in the moment. She was caught in the passion. She was just caught in an act of shame. And now she's hearing everything they are saying to her and telling her and calling her. And it's like she's accepted her fate. She's resigned to the fact that what they're saying is true. And if what they are saying is true, then she deserves what they are saying she deserves. When you hear something enough times, you start to believe it. You start to think it's true. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. So what you hear influences what you think. And some of you have heard the voices. Some of you are hearing voices. And these voices are saying that you're not good enough. They're saying you're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not the right size. You're not the right color. And you're hearing these things and you're starting to think they're true. Just because you hear something doesn't make it true. Just because you see something posted doesn't make it true. You know, I've never seen a kid eat a Tide Pod. But if you listen to Facebook, you'd think every teenager in the country are devouring them like cinnamon rolls. (laughs) What you hear influences what you think. So back to our story. She's surrounded by her accusers. And they're all pointing their fingers. And they're reminding Jesus what the law says. That she should be stoned. And they want to know what Jesus thinks. And she's quiet. And she's listening. And she's thinking. Scripture says Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I've heard this story so many times now. A lot of you probably have too. Have you ever wondered why he was doing that? What was he writing? Why was he writing? Was he doodling? Was he stalling? So he could collect his thoughts? I mean, I doubt it. He was the Son of God. It's like everything that Jesus did had significance. So you've got to hang with me here for a second because I'm going to get a little bit deep. But I think this might be the key to understanding this. Now you see, right before Jesus bent down and began writing in the sand, the verse before says they were using this question about stoning the woman as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So they did not believe that he was who he said he was. Now, the prophet Jeremiah wrote 600 years before in Jeremiah 17, verse 3, which was scripture that all these religious leaders would have known very, very well. He wrote, O Lord, the hope of Israel, 
All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Now, even more interesting is that the day before this, recorded in John chapter 7, I mentioned it said that they all went home, then Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Where they just come from was Him proclaiming Himself to be the spring of living water. John chapter 7 verse 33 says, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. So I can't help but think that that this is a way of Jesus saying, I know you're trying to trap me. I know that you don't believe that I am who the scriptures say I am. Now keep following. I'm going to shoot us in another little direction here. You see, Jesus was very familiar with the Scriptures. And adultery is mentioned a lot in the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. Adultery is in the Ten Commandments. It's mentioned in all four Gospels. It's mentioned in ten other books of the Bible. Now here's some Hebrew history. When someone was caught in adultery, both the man and the woman would be brought to the temple and accused And if witnesses could be gathered to confirm that adultery had indeed been committed, there was a ceremony that would be done in order to bring judgment. The ceremony consisted of a priest that was required to write the law that had been broken along with the names of the accused. The most common way this was done, the priest would stoop down and write in the dust on the floor of the temple where it wasn't permanent. It could be wiped away. So by stooping down and riding in the sand at the temple, it was also like Jesus was showing these accusers that they were not keeping the law. You're asking me about the law. You're not keeping the law. You were in the wrong. He was showing them that they were not following God's way. And it's at this moment that Jesus stands up He stands up and he looks at these religious leaders who are holding their rocks in their hand. And he says, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Boom! Another translation says, let he who is sinless cast the first stone. I mean, in one sentence, Jesus brought down those who thought that they were superior and he brought up one who thought she was inferior. See, what you hear influences what you think, but more importantly, who you hear influences what you think. You see, what Jesus said made everyone think differently. It made everyone see things differently. And that's the second part of the cycle of truth. What we think influences what we see. What we think influences what we see. Rebecca was a kindergarten teacher. And one day, during her art lesson, as she was walking around the class, 
observing the children while they were drawing, she, she stopped at little Leah's desk. Leah was working very diligently on her art. Rebecca said, well, what are you drawing, Leah? Leah replied, I'm drawing God, teacher. Rebecca paused and said, but no one knows what God looks like, Leah. And without looking up from her work, Leah replied, they will in a minute. (laughs) You see, what we think influences what we see. And Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. You see, it takes the voice of truth to start making the cycle of truth start to come together. See, Jesus hits them all with a truth bomb. And then it says again, he stooped down and he rode on the ground. So I think now he's given them time to think. He's giving them a little time to collect their thoughts because it takes hearing the truth to start thinking and seeing the truth. You see, this is where everything changed. This is where everything changed in this story and this is where everything changes in our stories because the way you see yourself changes everything. Verse 9 says, At this, those who heard begin to go away one at a time, the older ones first. And I love how it throws that in there. The older ones first. Because for those of us whose hair is getting a little gray and a little thinner on top, we realize we don't have very many reasons ourselves to be throwing stones at other people. So those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Listen, because this is big. The reason this story is in the Bible is not to show you what Jesus did for her, but to show you what Jesus does for us. You see, Jesus makes everyone see differently. This story nails us on both sides. Both sides. See, Jesus was speaking to everyone. Jesus was making everyone there think. He was making everyone see things differently. What did He do for them? He made them realize that they were no better off than her. And the truth is we all get a tendency sometimes, just like those religious leaders, to start thinking that we're better than other people. That we're a little better than somebody else. We start to judge other people. We start to point fingers at people and point out what they're doing and point out their sin. It's greater than what I'm doing. What they're doing is really bad. Jesus says a sin is a sin. There's no degrees of sin. You don't judge someone because you think their sin is greater than yours. 
See, Jesus made them see things differently. Well, what did He do for her? He stood up for her. He stood up for the same way He stands up for us. Man, He stood up high enough to enter into our worlds. He stood up to have a cross put on His back. He stood up to have nails driven in His hands. He stood up and had all the sins of the world, hers, theirs, yours, mine, placed upon Him. He stood up and He died for us. Then He stood up in the middle of a tomb, smacked Satan right in the mouth and walked out on Easter morning. Death couldn't even keep Christ down. He stands up for us. You know what else he does? He speaks up for us. Just like he spoke up on behalf of that woman caught in adultery. Romans 8 verse 34 says, He is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. What a great thought. That Jesus is in the presence of God at this moment sticking up for us. The story goes on to say Jesus straightened up, so he stood up again. And he asked her, woman, where are they? He's asking you the same question. The same question that he asked her. Where are they? Where are these people that are accusing you? Where are these voices that you're listening to? Who are these voices that you're listening to? These voices that are in your world, these voices of accusation, these voices that are criticizing you, these voices that are putting you down, these voices that are continually reminding you of mistakes that you've made and past failures that you've had. These voices that are shaping the way that you're thinking and in turn shaping the way that you're seeing things. Man, some of you are still bearing the scars of what someone said a long time ago. It's like you're defined according to what people are saying about you. You're defined according to mistakes that you've made in your life, times that you've come up short. Maybe you've heard these things at school, maybe you hear them at home. And some people spend their entire lives trying to recover from voices. Whether it's a voice from a spouse that cuts you down at the knees with their mouth and drops you down. Whether it's a parent that has said something at a young age and it's continued to stick to you your whole life. You remember that moment that that person said something. It's like the woman in the story. You seem to get yanked out of bed every morning. Barely open your eyes and you feel the weight of the world already upon you. And you already feel this big. Man, Satan loves guilt. Satan loves it. He will remind you of it every single day. He will use whoever he can to speak into your ear. To let you know. To let you see those things again. To let you think those things again. Because what you hear influences what you think, and what you think influences what you see, and he knows the cycle, and he knows this cycle works very well. But it's not about what we hear or how we hear, it is about who we hear. The scripture continues on after everyone's dropped their stones. 
They all walked away. And Jesus asked her, Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Who are you listening to? Romans 8 verse 1 tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say a little bit. It doesn't say some when I really do something really stupid. It says none. And let me tell you the reason this is. The reason you are beyond condemnation is that when you give your heart to Christ, He gives His heart to you. So when God sees you, guess what He sees? He sees the heart of Christ. It's not because of what you've done. It's about what He did. And because of Christ, we've been set free. We've been made free. Our record's been wiped clean. Our hearts are clean. We're free from accusations. We're free from condemnation. It's called grace. And there's no person whose sins are too deep or whose past is too ugly, whose failures are too many. There is not a single person who is beyond this grace. tell you, this grace redefines who you are. And it changes everything. Changes your life. It changes your identity. It changes who you are. But it also changes the way that you need to speak back to those voices that you're hearing. You don't have to just take it. Even the gentlest push at times can silence the critics. I'm going to show you a cute little example of this. Let's watch this video. It doesn't take much. (laughs) Listen, when Satan is trying to convince you that you are not the person that God has claimed you to be, promised that you will be, and bought you in order for you to be, you need to push back. You need to push back. You say, you're wrong. You do not have final authority over me. Jesus Christ does. And I am who Christ says I am. I'm going to listen to His voice. I don't listen to condemnation. I listen to affirmation. Listen, when I look in the mirror, I don't see this man who's failed in a previous marriage in his life. I don't see a guy who's done a lot of dumb things in his life. I don't see a man who's often afraid to come up here and preach on Sunday mornings. I see a man of God who's been declared free, 
who's been given a fresh start, who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. You see, nothing will be different until you think differently or spin it the other way. Everything will be different once you start to think differently. What we think influences what we see. Jesus wraps it all up by saying, Go now and leave your life of sin. Which leads us to the last part of the cycle of truth. What you see influences what you do. What you see influences what you do. When you see things differently, you do things differently. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. What we see affects what we do. And Jesus is saying to her the exact same thing that he's saying to us. He's saying, you're not that same person anymore. You are no longer defined by what you've heard. You are no longer defined by your past, by what you've done. You don't look back. You're not going that way anymore. See, if your mind's still in yesterday, you're going to move in that direction. You don't go forward by looking back. Don't continue to live your life through this filter of past sins and failures and things that you've done, but through the lens of a new identity. And I can't help but think that Jesus is telling her, you're too valuable to be some other man's second choice. He's saying, you deserve more than that. And now that you can see what you are in Christ and who you are in Christ, you start living that way because you deserve more than that. Don't just settle. Let me tell you, there's a big difference in being content with what you've been given and being content with where you are. Jesus paid way too great of a price for us to continue to just live our lives in ways that don't bring Him the honor and bring Him the glory that He deserves. And we are more than capable of doing it. The cycle of truth is a game changer. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11 This story is a game-changing story. But let me tell you what, the voice of truth in this book is truly the game-changer. Because it's only through His words that we begin to think differently, see differently, and do differently. Bow our heads. Dear God, we, we thank you this morning for opening our ears to your truth. God, allow us to continue to seek your words and not the ways of the world. God, we also thank you for opening our eyes to who we truly are, and that is who you say we are. 
We are people that are chosen and we are people that are dearly loved and we are forgiven. We are holy and without blame and we are more than capable. God, allow us to strive to honor you in the way that we treat others, the way that we talk, the way that we act, just the way that we live our lives. And we lift you up in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.